you can't paint something to look translucent, you, you shouldn't be doing the job. Oh, uh, yeah, everybody wants to do a worm head. <laughs> God, I do love our mics. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Me too. I wish everybody very nice. had them. Yeah, it makes a lot a lot easier. So listen, I was, uh, listen, I was listening to your interview with uh, Rob Berman. It was awesome. It was really good. It was very, very, very interesting. He, also, he and Jennifer are so much fun to talk to. Sounds like you had a lot of fun chatting away. And also, it was, we did. It was we, solid information. We don't get to do it know? nearly enough. Yeah, I think he was the guy that you took me to meet at that sculpture convention when I came up to exactly, see you. Exactly, yeah. Ah, yeah. So we, we spoke briefly, but, you know, he had a, st- a stall to manage and everything. So it probably wasn't that easy for him to chat. But, yeah, it was really good fun. I really enjoyed it. So, yeah, nice one for doing that. That was fantastic. He's and that probably, information was just golden. He's probably forgotten more about foam latex than either of us will ever know. Oh, I can imagine it. Oh, that was fantastic. I had a really, really good time listening to it. So, yeah, I think it will make an excellent podcast. So, right, well, uh, I hope everybody else will enjoy it too. Well, I think we should get stuck into it then. So uh, let's listen away to uh, to your fantastic interview with Rob Berman. Woohoo! How you doing, man? I'm doing wonderfully. How are you doing? Doing well, too. It's a nice, nice day here. It's been great the last few days waking up in the morning, and it's been in the, like the mid-50s. That's and actually then, really nice. And That's warm, the time I like to go to the gym. Yeah, and then warming up, to, uh, I guess it got close to 90 yesterday, but right now it's really nice outside, like 72. Yeah, well, we, we're looking at the triple digits for the next uh, week, I think. Uh, I think they're getting that back east, too, and Louisiana is underwater. Yep. So I, I count myself pretty fortunate. You know, nothing is terribly on fire at the moment nearby. Yeah. Yeah, actually, um, things are good. I've You know, it's hot outside, but uh, other than that, things are good. I'm pretty relaxed. I'm glad <laughs> to hear that. I'm, the classes look like they're going well. I'm having a great time doing it, and right now, in fact, you know, because it's kind of hit and miss as to how many students you get since we haven't really promoted it yet the, the way, you know, we haven't put any advertising out or anything like that. It's just been kind of word of mouth. So, you know, we only have a few here right now. I've got one guy in my foam latex class, and it's like getting private education. No kidding. For less than the price of going to school, you know. Wow, so that's awesome. He's, uh, he's working out pretty good, and he's doing a beautiful job, really nice chambered Nautilus kind of looking thing. It's really wonderful. Sweet. Are you doing it there at the house? Are you? Do you have a? Have you found a space? Um, I'm I'm doing it in my personal lab here right now, and I'll take up to six people, but uh, um, but no more than that. And you know, we'll eventually have a space when there's the demand for it. But you know, until the demand happens, I'm you know I'm not a build it and they will come kind of guy. Right. I'm a like the world tells you, look, you've got to build this. You need it now. Okay, great. Then I'll do it. <laughs> right. Well, six students, that's optimal. I think, you know, it's Can't everybody, everybody, everybody gets, gets good attention that way. If you get, you know, when I was doing my sculpture classes at the art Institute, which by the way, I am no longer attached to them. We, we had, uh, I finally just said, you know, enough's enough. Right. Um, but you know, they were putting like 30 plus students in a sculpture class for me. And it wasn't fair to them. It certainly wasn't fair to me. And, you know, maybe one or two students who had the, the gumption to, to really push and, and be there. Nobody got, got much time to say, Hey, what can I do to make this better? Cause everybody's 
I loved teaching the class, but by the end of a four-hour class, I was exhausted because everybody in class wanted my attention 100% of the time, and it's, it's well, exhausting. Well, it's, it's, it's a math equation. You look at it and you go, okay, I've got eight hours to teach 30 students. How much time does each student get right. in eight hours? You know, um, they're going to end up with, uh, you know, you, you get you have 15 minutes, 20 minutes for each student. You know, and that's not really fair to them, and it's not really fair to 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 you as the teacher because you can't spread yourself that thin and do anything effectively for them, and and have them get what they came there for. True, yeah. So you taking mom to the to the Del Toro exhibit today, huh? Yeah. Well, you know, I had to think of something to do on her birthday, and and then I went, oh dear, and I saw the Del Toro exhibit coming up in my Facebook feed, and I thought, oh my god, I I, I supposed to be doing. That. I wish I'd been to the opening, Not but I didn't. I would love to go see it. Asking for her, she's Pick. such a great person. That's awesome. I hope I get a chance to meet her one of these days. Yeah, I kind of blew up the internet this morning with on Facebook with uh, with a few of her pictures saying happiest of birthdays to the the queen of the original or the the original queen of effect suppliers. Oh, Berman foam. Good for you. Yeah. And now it's like going nuts. It's I can't I can't keep up with the feed. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna let it run its course. <laughs> so, what was it like growing up in 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 such a legacy family? Um, you know, my my standard answer to that is really interesting because it's 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 as true as you could ever be on the deepest of levels. I grew up a perfect blend between the Brady Bunch and the Adams family. <laughs> We were the most normal, average, usual people in the San Fernando Valley. I mean, I grew up, the Wonder Years is is probably a really good example. of The Wonder Years moved (laughs) into that 70s show. That was my childhood, you know. (laughs) But my dad wasn't a grisly old curmudgeon. My dad was, uh, you know, a a movie maker. He painted people's faces and played it with clay. Played with clay, and you know, and made. And he mold. got to work with some amazing people too, John. Yeah, well, he'd come home from work and he'd go, "Oh well, I met a guy that told me he thought he was an alien." I'd be like, "Really? Who is that?" He said, "Some guy named David Bowie." You but know, imagine like, this. Yes, exactly. <laughs> imagine this. You know, these are just people. In your life as a child. Yeah, Anton LaVey, the Pope of the Satanic Church, would come by at 11 o'clock, and my, oh my dad God. would wake me up and say, hey, I want you to meet this guy. You know, all right, sure, go talk to him. Because <laughs> they got to be friends on working on the Devil's Reign, and, you know, it's just like, I mean, my dad's the most atheist person you've ever met, so it's a demeaning thing to him, but, you know, this was a cool guy to him. He and wanted his kids to meet him. My growing came out up, I got to meet Mama Cass, I got to meet Clint <clears throat> Eastwood in his early years i get to meet all these people because i was just there that's really cool you grow up in la i guess that's kind of the way (laughs) yeah when i when i was out there and and we had our theater on on uh santa monica boulevard we got a lot of you know theater's an interesting animal and and it's different than anywhere else in in my favorite animal uh dan Aykroyd and 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 his wife donna dixon were were would come to the theater all the time and he'd he'd stand on the corner and smoke cigarettes while donna would come in and and get the tickets, and we'd have a couple of seats taped off at the back of the house so that as soon as the lights went down, he could, he could pop up in and, and see a show, and 
not get get swamped. But you know, we'd have coffee together and and talk about stuff, you know, things like that. You know, ter- the first play that we did at the theater, we opened um, with a comedy that we double cast. The female lead was um, Terry Hatcher, her first play ever. Oh and, my god! And Cecilia, and she was dating she was dating Michael Bolton at the time, <laughs> and Cecilia Peck, and. Opening night, Cecilia went on, and her dad and his wife came to the show, and there was, you know, 99-seat equity waiver house, but we probably had 125, 130 people in the in the in the house for the show that That's night. That's brilliant, yeah. And we had a had a reception. There was a cafe next door, and we had these big French doors that opened into the cafe, so it was mobbed afterwards. And I'm sitting on the on the steps up into the house. After the, after the show talking to some people and I hear this voice, where's Todd? (laughs) (laughs) And the crowd parted like the Red Sea and Gregory Peck comes walking over with his hand extended to to thank me for such a wonderful opening night performance. It was like, I have no idea what I said to him because it was, it was just sudden tunnel vision to be approached like that. I totally get that. I spent a whole day with him in my dad's shop doing his body cast for El Gringo. Oh, or Old that, Gringo. That's oh, I bet that was crazy. And uh, Well, here's the thing. They had him. We did his whole body cast, everything, head, hands, feet, all that stuff like that. And uh, um, and he was replacing, uh, oh, shoot, who is the actor? Younger than him, but but not as in as good condition. Uh, well, he was. it was originally going to be Burt Lancaster. It was originally. So we had spent yeah. we had spent an entire day with Burt Lancaster doing his body cast and head cast and all that stuff like that, and then they went, "Well, oh, the insurance the way, companies won't insure gosh. him." So uh, here, get Gregory Peck. <laughs> you know, it's so much fun being under production. <laughs> right. So what what was your first experience? How old were you when you when you ran your first foam stuff? For a little bit of background, just to, so people know where I come from, because I didn't grow up a fan of the industry. Not that I didn't think the stuff was cool, but that I just wasn't like I wasn't like the the typical film fan who it you know every day who wanted now. to collect it. it yeah. Oh my God, this like, and that. You know, what did you yeah. What did you want to do instead? Um, yeah, I didn't know. I didn't even really think about it. My parents didn't push me into anything. I hadn't, I mean, I, I toyed with, you know, I want to be an archaeologist and I want to be a this and I want to be a that, but, but nothing ever really seriously stuck. I, I might have gotten into music maybe because I was really starting to get into music a lot when I got into high school. And well, Skip. Oh, uh, yeah. My cousin is a sound engineer, yeah. sound engineering for film and whatnot. But, uh, but, um, I, I got a job doing cleanup. Uh, uh, janitor work for Pacific Telephone office buildings and BMW garages. And so we would clean these places at night, me and my best friend Dale. We'd ride our skateboards to the place and, you know, we'd clean up until late at night and then we'd go home, go to school the next day, all that stuff. And actually get a paycheck. Well, that that job lasted about (laughs) maybe two months or so before uh, it just just wasn't going to be something. I I got tired of having to go to this place all the time and all that. So I wasn't something I wanted to do. Well, he was a teenager. (laughs) So what I did was... um, I got a job as at a, as a dishwasher at an ice cream parlor, which <laughs> was a little it. more steady, and I actually liked it better because it was more organized, and I was there, and I controlled my environment and all that stuff. And, and I there liked, was ice cream involved. And, well, yeah, there was always, yeah, Ferrell's ice Ferrell's. cream. Got to love that. Ferrell's, Ferrell's. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, 
anyway, where was I? I was at, uh, I was washing dishes. Okay. And so that lasted only a couple of months before it'd be, you know, it would interfere with my non-school time, I guess. Um, so I, uh, uh, I started telling my dad, look, your shop is a mess. It looks like Sanford and Son around here. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's disaster. So, uh, what if Dale and I, my best friend, um, we, uh, uh, we came in at night and cleaned your shop. You'd come into a clean place the next day and he'd go, wow, that sounds great. Well, we, we should do that. So I would go in and we, clean up two, three nights a week, that kind of thing. And uh, and then I'd be in school the next day, and I would get a note from the front office, because, you know, no cell phones or anything at the time. There'd be a note, and it'd be like, send send Mr. Rob Berman to the front office. Be like, ugh, what did I do? You know, so I would go to the front office, and they'd say, there's a phone call for you. It's your dad. And I'd be like, oh, okay, what's the problem? He'd say, well, where'd you put this? Where'd you put that? I need this thing. I need that thing. And I'd be like... Well, I don't know. I or uh, I saw this. So I put it here. I didn't see that. I put that over there. Whatever I would tell him, and then he'd say, "Come in after school." I'd say, "Well, I'm supposed to go hiking after school," and so I would tell him that you know, and he'd say, "Come in after school." I say, "Okay." I come in after school, and then I started like stocking the shelves and and refilling containers and doing all that kind of stuff. So I was really his shop support and everything that had to be done was done by me so i learned what the materials were how they worked how to clean them up what they were needed as how much i should have in stock at the time and i learned all that basic stuff first sort of the the karate kid syndrome it's wax you're an effect sous chef great you know so uh inside of a, a couple of years i was pretty close to running the place not the techniques of how everything was done um, you know, that was at the time because I was doing what? The Beast Within and Cat People. So that would have been Frank Perez, I think, who was one of my mentors along, uh, you know, with my dad and all the other people I worked with. Um, and so on those films, my dad had me starting to run foam because it was the easiest thing to teach me to do that didn't require technical engineering. You know, it was making meringue and making it gel inside of a mold. Big deal. You know, he figured any monkey could do it. <laughs> but. <laughs> So uh, so I got really good at that at first, and he said, well, uh, that's really great, but now we're out of work. We don't have anything left to do. I'm going to have to lay you off. And I was making like you know, 350 a week, something like that at the time. And uh, he got a phone call from his friend Kenny Diaz who says, we're having some problems with our foam on this show, and we need to figure out how to fix it. And my dad says, sure, I'll come by and take a look. He says, well, no, nah, I really actually, we'd really rather have a foam runner that was that was good. Do you have anybody that you're not using? He says, well, I'm about to lay my son off. He'd be happy. They'll go, well, they're only paying 500 a week. He goes, I think he'll take that. You know, so <laughs> I said, okay. And so I went over there, and uh, Dale, my, again, Dale Brady, my best friend at the time, um, not that he's not a great friend now, but uh, uh, we um, we went over there and interviewed for the job and uh, started talking to this guy, Eric Jensen. He says, well, this is going to be big amounts of foam. Do you know big amounts of foam? I'm like, well, I've run this three batches at a time. That's, you know, that's 450 grams. So it's like, well, okay, well, you might find it more interesting when you're working here. And so he went in and we were given the foam department for the thing. Wow. And, you know, so Dale and I just started running three 15-batch 
mixers at a time, <laughs> giant Hobart, 20 quart mixers. And we were running all of that, doing all that. So, so I really got my, my, my start and my foundation doing foam in the industry right away. That's very cool. How far back does, does foam latex go in the, in the business? When, when was the, the first usage? Do you know? You know, companies have been making foam latex since easily the turn of the 1900th century, I'm sure. <clears throat> uh, you know, Uniroyal and Firestone and all those people. Once they learned how to vulcanize rubber, um, they started doing crazy things with it. They tried to do everything out of it. You know, they didn't realize it was temporary at the time and, you know, it rot out. But they, they made a lot of stuff out of it. Um, in the early silent films in the in the teens and the twenties, they had a uh, they used regular latex that they would back with with sheets of pre made foam sometimes and things like that. But uh, I would say it really kind of hit its heyday when they started playing with it more in the thirties when they hit like uh, uh, the Wizard of Oz primarily. Yeah. By that time, um, uh, the Bows had had come up with a formula utilizing rubber, I think, from Uniroyal. That uh, they, you know, and they would get all kinds, all the raw components, everything that you know, it'd be like like ten components to run foam, and uh, instead of like the the four component stuff that we did. But once you now. know the chemistry, oh. <laughs> but yeah, they just they played with it, and that foam at that time was a lot more like. Kind of like cardboard. It was pretty stiff. It was, yeah. you know, not the soft stuff that they've that they've adapted to now. But you know, we've had what a hundred years to to <laughs> fine tune it. What do you think um, is important? Uh, say when you're when you're prepping a foam latex class, um, what do you typically put together for that first gathering? The hardest thing about doing a foam latex class that I've ever had, because everybody wants me to come and teach a foam latex class. Sure, no problem, be happy to. But then you tell you them, well, the you need a gram scale and you need an oven. Yeah. Yeah. And they go, oh, uh, what kind of oven? And you're like, well, not a kitchen oven. You need something that's a lot more like a, uh, uh, you know, uh, an industrial style. Actually, a convection oven, something with circulating air, something like that would work. You can get them now, but. Uh, uh, um, most people kind of have to build their own for anything of any size. And if you've got a class with 10, 15 students in it, which you can do a foam latex class with, you know, a lot of students, mm -hmm. no problem. And then they'll get plenty of information and, and plenty of experience and knowledge. But then you need a big enough oven to cook the amount of foam that's run for the amount of students that there are. And, you know, uh, it's the I did a mold in a parking lot class. last month. Sorry? I, I ran a mold in a parking lot. In yeah. Atlanta, because it was so so hot, and they didn't they had a, a little teeny oven, and the mold that I, that I had brought to this for this demo wouldn't fit. So sure. we just so we just stuck it in the back of a pickup truck all day out in the parking lot in a hundred degree weather. But if yeah, you and if you put a black blanket on top of it, it's good the too. Chemical components of yeah. what going to um, do? Yeah, uh, I would say that uh, I know a guy that built an insulating foam box that he used to put in his driveway and put a heat yep. gun underneath. Yep, yep. First one I ever had was a box that I just plywood coffin essentially with that foam insulation and I had infrared heat lamps on it. And right. just had to yeah. just had, uh, to, yeah. had the, to turn the, them on and off every now and then so it wouldn't get too hot. The oven on tremors because it had to be eight feet by eight feet by eight feet on the inside. Um was heated with bathroom wall heaters all along the walls uh, uh, at the bottom edge. And we'd cook a worm head for, you know, two days. <laughs> yeah, two days. Uh, yeah, everybody wants to do a worm head. It was 
That the the worm heads for tremors were fourteen twenty quart Hobarts to fill. Good grief! And that was just you know a piece that was probably about six feet tall and maybe seven feet in diameter. And good grief is the word for it. Did you yes. pour it in or did you inject it in? How'd you get the foam out of the mixer I into the mold? I put injector holes all the way around the base of it and then went up about a couple of feet and put more injector holes and then went up and did so I did as many injector holes as I would need so we would we had five of the 20 quart Hobarts so we would fill all these big giant injector guns and things I think we even rented Dales which was like six feet long and uh, one foot diameter tube wow you would just pump the pump until you saw it coming out of a hole and then you would plug the hole you're injecting in and move to the next hole and then keep doing that until you ran out of foam and then we'd clean it all up and then we'd do another batch do and we'd inject again <laughs> for the next level. So you'd have stuff gelling at different at different periods. Well yeah, you had to only yeah. having five mixers, you know. But and and we sort of got lap lines in a few places, but but it's something six feet tall and seven feet in diameter. Uh, do you see that? You know, especially when the texture looked like an old leather jacket, you know, that that kind of thing. I think the big foam stuff, though it's scarier and you're mixing huge amounts of foam, is way easier to do. Yeah. Is that the biggest stuff you ever did? Yeah. The, the little things. Think about it this way. A tiny little bubble is going to totally ruin an eye bag. Yeah. But a bubble the size of a golf ball is not going to ruin... Stay puffed or Slimer or, you know, anything that's that size. Just, you know, you, you don't notice it as much. And, you know, it, it, and for some reason, the volume and the size tends to push that air out and you end up without those kind of things. Well, how could when you're doing stuff that big and adding that different batches to something, then how, how critical does it become when you're having to, when you're, you know, the environment of, of, of the mixing room, humidity and temperature and so on to get consistency uh, of the, of the gelation. Well, yeah. I, I, I would say, um, the hardest thing on a show like that with something like that is the ventilation being able to get enough ammonia out of the room. So you're not asphyxiated. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, for the, for the most part, um, those big batches aren't quite as sensitive. I think the smaller the batch, the more sensitive it is. Interesting. Which is why I tell people don't do a 75-gram batch. Uh, you know, your well, inconsistencies are way too often. Is, oh, well, that makes sense. Very um, the smaller the amount, yeah. the more exacting you have to be uh, in your foam. And I think that uh, as far as it goes, foam... Um, Foam doesn't like people with bad attitudes. It's, it's <laughs> oh, well, that explains a lot. <laughs> so you know, if, if, if the wrong people are in the room, homage to the foam gods. Yes, pay homage to the foam gods, and if the wrong people are in the room, you know, maybe you want to run foam later on. <laughs> What's your worst foam experience? Uh, you know what? The winter time. And, and I know that's a pretty broad answer, but it seems like every time cold. it's winter time cold. and it's cold, cold, your foam ends up with more often with odd voids in it and hollow spots and and bad skinning because of the slow sets. Even if you have a fast set, for some reason, just I don't know, is it barometric pressure? Or I don't know what it is. I just know that. Um, you tend to have more problems in the winter no matter what it is, you know. And it's always on a deadline when time is tight and everything, and you need to have oh, it now. 
You know, we always get used to the summertime when everything works well. Materials work really fast and easy, and they go off just the way they're supposed to do, maybe even a little fast. And, oh, gosh, we get used to that. And then the winter Does your humidity change from try to do a job, and, and it doesn't work. Do you have different, is your humidity different in the wintertime than it is in the summertime? A, a little bit, but, you know, being California, we don't vary that much. You know, it's, it's relatively. And, and to be honest, I find, I find that if it's cold, and dry, foam is slow. If it's cold and wet, foam is faster. Uh-huh. And it's because the moisture in the air sucks the ammonia out of the the foam faster. Um, so on a cold, dry day, that foam is going to seem to want to want to take forever to set. But uh, conversely, on a cold, wet day the cold is amplified to be colder, so it wants to slow it down. These are the problems you end up with when you're trying to run foam. Yeah, well, it's, it's like, like Gil Mosco said, you know, don't be a slave to the schedule. Well, here we are at halftime, folks. So I'm going to give you a little reminder to please keep those reviews coming in. We really like hearing that you like our stuff. And if you don't like it, we want to know that too, I suppose, so we can improve it. Tell us why. Yeah, please tell us why. Uh, the reviews really help us out. Don't be a slave to the schedule. Oh, gosh, no. Yeah, at, at this point now, I um, if foam looks strange and it looks different and my timing isn't, isn't correct, I'll just wing it just because I know what foam is going to do and I know what it needs to smell like when it's ready for gelling agent. And ultimately, foam is a simple material. It either gels or it doesn't. It either right. cures or it doesn't. If it if it doesn't cure, did you put did you put curing agent in it? Had times where you forgot. I've yeah. done that many times. Or the curing agent's bad. That there may be a bad batch or something like that. So curing is real, real something that's relatively beyond your control. Or you over cured it because you cooked it too long, and now you've got what they call cell wall tech, which makes it kind of gummy. Yeah. Um. But then you've got the converse where it uh, uh where it either gels or it doesn't. You know, if it gels too fast, you ran it too long or you added too much gelling agent. Once you know that, everything else works really well and uh, um, and will will not be an issue for you. You know, you, you can adjust from there. Okay, great. It didn't gel. I better add a couple of minutes. You add a couple, you know, you add a couple of minutes and all of a sudden it did. Gels too fast. Well, and now you know it's in a minute in between there. I like having that. Like the third run is going to be your best. Your yeah. first run yeah. it, it does one thing. Your second run it does another. Now you know the median in between to do. You know, so it's 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 just trial and error. If you do foam all the time, no problem. Foam is magic, and you never have a problem. I you, you know once in a while, forget it. It's a pain in the ass. Of all <laughs> the materials that that we work with, you know, I love working with silicone. I love doing Bondo transfers, but mm-hmm. I, I think I like foam latex maybe the best. I do. Uh, well, and, and well, you know, I'm weird. I love the smell of it. And new, it's probably going to be silicone. But if it's, if it's something that I want to do that's a character and it's fun and it's this thing like I do in most of my classes, yeah. foam latex is the only real okay, way to go. Okay, to do caricature versus to do something that is completely... Like newborn silicone's too heavy for anything big and bulky, right? You know, so unless you unless you do a, a bunch of other things to try and lighten that silicone up, I would just do foam. And and something Kevin Haney told me he says if you can't paint, what do you 
what are you doing as a makeup artist? Right. right. You know, if you if you can only use silicone, you can't paint something to look translucent. You you shouldn't be doing the job. Speaking of painting, um, when it comes to painting foam, you know, because it's inherently opaque. Sure. Because of because of its nature, do you have a preferred medium to paint with or a, or method? You know, like packs versus our, you know, rubber mask grease paint or airbrush spattering. Um, I I do ninety percent of my work in packs. Yeah, just because um, I start in those colors. I'll do a all if I'm doing, let's say, one of my characters like Herbert or or Carl from Up or something like that. Um, those guys are, you know, it's a full overhead makeup. It's multiple pieces, you know, six, seven, eight pieces. But um, once it's all put together and everything, um, I do a test run and put it together on the bust and do a test paint. And since I've done all my painting and test painting and acrylic on that to test it, I've already got my colors there. I already know what I'm going to use and all of that. And so I just add a little bit of prosade to it, and, and I can use that in my makeup. I'm not coloring a person's skin though i have put packs on the skin you know with no ill effects but um but for the most part i paint all the foam see i start my makeup at the edge of the prosthetic where it hits the skin right so that i know it matches the skin and then go up onto the prosthetic i don't start in the middle of the prosthetic and work my way out because then when you start in the middle it's like well that color looks good and you get to the edge and go oh that color does not look so good you know, but the other way around, you start right at the skin and go, wow, you know that picture, that, that color is right or not. Um, and then I finish off after, after I've done my packs, because I can do it in washes as well. I really water it down so that it just becomes glazing kind of effects more. Yeah. Then, then I might spatter with, uh, uh, with 99 colors, with like real creations colors I, I like mostly. Um, you know, and then if I'm doing anything sensitive area or around somebody's eyes or something like that, then I might graduate over to grease paint and things because I don't want to have to, you know, really wreck their eyelids trying to take off a harsh makeup when I can just do it in That's grease. That's nice of you. You know, not worry about it. It's a little more upkeep for me during the day, but, you know, it's a, it's a lot more comfortable for the actor. Cool. Like I won't use I won't use thickened prosate or any adhesives real close to the eye. I'll go right to duo and just use that to blend any edges or anything like that so that I know that it's hypoallergenic, it's soft, it's easy, it's made to go on your eyelid, so it's not going to be tra- traumatic. Good advice there. So so in terms of the materials that we work with, you know, silicone, gelatin, the thickened prosade, where where do you think foam latex ranks? in in a pecking order um it really depends on uh you know it's the project every single project comes down differently you know um there may be some that uh that it's just really best to go silicone or it's really best to go foam or um my my personal feeling though is know your foam know how to do foam latex know your basics know your your that's why i called my company sticks and stones (laughs) So that you know what uh, it's what mom is. Excuse me, real sure. Quick. Um, I, I kind of think that I am seeing a sort of new vigor with it. Certainly with with Roland Blancafleur, um, with his stuff. But there's this. I was at an I was at an IMATS before. I think a year a year ago, last time I was at IMATS, there just seemed to be a lot more foam being demoed around sure. the show floor than I remembered seeing before. 
I, I, I think that was the year you did Carl. It's, it's much more accept, accessible to people now than it's ever been before. Uh, with with Roland and with Rubberware, yeah, and your line is, that, is everybody, fabulous. Everybody you know, has access to to foam now. Um, but I liken it more to a pendulum pendulum swinging. Yeah, everybody went whole hard, just full bore into silicone because wow, silicone, right? And then everybody went, wow, well, silicone isn't necessarily the answer. That was that was really a pain. I wish that had been in foam. And, and it's expensive. That. So the pendulum, pendulum comes back the other way. Well, it is and it isn't. One of the things that I learned from Stan Winston very early on when I walked in and I saw him pouring up a, a block silicone mold using literally five gallons of silicone was like, oh, my God, Stan, why didn't you do that as a case mold? And his comment was, if I did in a case mold, it would take me three days, and then I'd have to pay three days' labor on this guy to have to come in and make the mold and all of that stuff, when I can just spend, you know, less than half of that pouring a block mold in the material. Well, when you say it like that, it makes sense. Yeah, so at sometimes, silicone, you can do three, four, five of them a day if you have to. Right. But foam, you're limited to one, two, maybe three if you're really pushing long hours. Yeah, I did a, I did a run, uh, for a, for a, a theatrical production recently where, you know, I'm, I'm getting too old for these all nighters. Oh yeah. But, <laughs> but I had, but I had to run the oven 24 seven for like three days. So, sure. So I would, you know, take a, take a, a, a nap at one o'clock in the morning and, you know, and just to oversee it. Fortunately, you know, I'll be running it at running it at, at lower temperatures, so I had a bigger window right. of of when I when I could safely take it out and not have it go completely south on me. And nicely, you have less steam problems and uh, and softer foam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have found that out for sure. My the first time I ran foam here in in Colorado at at elevation. I was following the schedule precisely before I realized, don't be a slave to the schedule. I was doing everything perfect, you know, timing it out just right and put the gelling agent in and going to pour the mold from the mixing bowl into the mold. And it was like a Looney Tunes cartoon. <laughs> it just seized up in mid pour. just went, Oh, yeah. You get it out and it doesn't even hit the gun. It just stops. <laughs> and that's it. And I was like, oh, man. Try that with a twenty-quart ball. Oh, I can imagine <laughs> profanity would happen. It, there, there, there was a lot of that. I'm sure you know. I'm from a different school of thought from a lot of people. Um, my dad and my grandfather and all of that, though precise in their methods and things like that, were more organic in their techniques, and they could flow and adapt when things were and weren't the way they needed to be. Um, then there's the other school of thought where people are coming out of uh, what I call the Dick Smith school, not literally the Dick Smith school, but the Dick, Dick Smith school of everybody has to have everything me measured to precision. You know, Dick would me measure and weigh his alginate and his water for a life cast. Yeah. You know, and me, I'm a like, oh, about this much in a bowl and about this much powder, mix it together. Okay, that looks right. Put it on. But it you was know. because somebody actually did that work. There are certain materials that you sure. have to be precise with, obviously, and you're to the gram and all of that kind of stuff. But, but you know, um, foam latex is, in its amounts is specific, exact amounts. But but the technique, you know, fluff it up. How long it takes you to get there is not important, as long as the ammonia content is right in the end. You know, if you know how to adapt and, and flow with it, 
Um, like I said, do it all the time. It's easy. Or do it once in a while, and it's, it's the bane of your you existence. Your cells to be closer or whatever. Yeah, but it's on the mercurial side of it. Speak, speaking of Dick, was was he was it Dick who implemented the the multiple the multi piece foam latex uh, appliances yeah, rather yeah, than the, the first the, one the, I than the single all stuff. I knew about it. Uh, it was described to my dad, and my dad said, hey, let's try that. So we tried that, and that's the way we did the Overdog McNabb makeup in Space Hunter. Mm. Um, and that was the first time we'd ever done anything like that. Before that, it was, you pretty much cast a full-face overhead. And then you yeah. have to deal with the shrinkage. Right, exactly. And, and well, what the they would do is they would, um, uh, at times, they would add plaster to the back of the head so it was a little bit bigger, and then they could, you know, have a little bit more. But right. you know, and you can see it in all the old movies, you know, pre nineteen eighties, late nineteen seventies, I guess, um, where all the full face makeups you can kind of see right around their mouth, right here, and right around their eyes, and then it's a big overhead, you know. Uh, the Mission Impossible style—that's the way everything was done up until that time. Yeah, and the multi-piece overlapping just allows you to take into account that shrinkage. So, well, no, and it's got to be a lot easier to manage than you know one big cumbersome piece. Sure, but now make a makeup move because back then, if you put that on, it was a certain thickness and it was a certain stiffness and it was tight and all of that. And you kind of went like this, and you tried to act, and and it barely did anything. But the old, the multi piece thing allowed it to put it on your skin, so that your skin wasn't pulled tight. It was nice and loose, exactly where it was. So if you sculpted thin and appropriately, when your face moved, that foam rubber moved just with your face and looked absolutely real. And I think that's what I when I saw that and realized you could get that kind of emotion out of foam latex is one of the things that I fell in love with immediately. People don't understand that they sculpt too thick, that, that you can get incredible amounts of, of change in features without doing a lot. Um, uh, again, I'll bring up my Herbert or my Carl Fredrickson makeups, that they're, uh, they're big and thick in the places that they need to be, but everywhere else comes right down and just touches the face in all the places that move appropriately. So there's a lot of animation in them. Yeah. Well, I love when you did, did Carl on, on um, Scott Essman. That, yeah. <laughs> that was so cool to... Just every little little subtle movement was. It was, was great for him as an experience because he'd never worn a makeup like that before, and uh, he and as a director and directing, you know, people on screen in makeups, he would always say, you know, I want more expression. Can you get? And he was always very frustrated by that. But now, after being in it as a director, he can go, Oh, I get it. I can see. I was really moving underneath, and and it translated very little on the outside. Again, the thicker it is, the less it's going to translate. And a character like that had to be thick, but at the same time was able to find places that I could keep it thin enough so it would move in the face. Yeah, I, I loved watching that that makeup come together. Thanks, it was fun. It's a great it's a great paint technique too because I've I've been painting foam long enough now that I can pretty much give you a natural skin tone in about four colors. Yeah, no that that looked looked very realistic. Yeah, and and it's really just layering on the colors in the right orders and things like that. So and and thinking about it this way, my my thought process is: what colors under your skin? 
Well, it's blood, okay, or a version thereof, whether it be something as, as subtle as like a bubble gum like my brother likes to use or something as deep as like a, a dried blood if you wanted to do something more monstrous or whatever. Right. You know, and then you're layering a layer of skin color over the top. And I say skin color not by my skin color or your skin color or dark skin color or whatever. Ultimately, it's if you ever had a really big blister and that skin peeled off, that color. That's the color of skin. And so I mix it, and so it looks kind of like just a very dead kind of fleshy gray almost. Yeah. And that over that deep red blood. Like a pair of khaki pants. All of a sudden just makes it, it, and then you do just enough so that that glow shows through. And all of a sudden it looks really alive. And then you mix a color, and I'm lucky because i got a million of them all over me. I mix my freckle color. Because freckle color is melanin. It's the color that in deep enough uh, densities is, is, is African skin tone. Yeah. You know, so I can layer on colors of that over my dead flesh over blood and slowly build it up and get somebody from as pale as I am to as, you know, uh, uh, to, a, to a very tan or even Hispanic looks and things like that and get much darker. I'd go completely different with a, with a dark skin tone like, uh, uh, like black skin tones. I start almost purple with that. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can see the colors in their skin, and if you can see them, you can paint them. Oh, absolutely. I, I agree. I, I, I think it's as easy to paint dark skin as it is to do light skin. Uh, in some ways, almost easier because I can do it in three colors instead of four. <laughs> Absolutely, it's like gold and burnt umber and and burgundy, and you can do a black in, black skin tone. Do you have a single piece of advice um, regarding working with foam latex that you think um, is more important than any other? The more you do it, the better you'll be at it. And this is all across the board: foam latex or anything at all. If you want to be good at something, do it every day. If you're not doing it every day, the guy out there that is doing it every day is going to beat you. You know, know what makes you special. Know what makes you, and it's, it's, you know, hireable. And that's craft. Craft is, is, is what makes you hireable. And if you know your craft well and you can do it well and you know how to market yourself, you'll be really successful. But do it every day. If you do it once in a while, the guy who does it every day is going to pass you very quickly. Market, market, market. I would say those those are my biggest pieces of advice I can give to anybody, and that you know I know that's beyond foam latex, but but it works in foam latex as well because there's a lot of competition out there. Sure. There's, there's ten thousand kids that graduate from school every year in the world. You know what makes you special? Aside from you and maybe me and a few a few people, are any of the schools really spending much time? teaching foam latex um that you know i know cinema does it i i think that here's the biggest problem with schools okay and this is this is not i don't think i'm cutting my foot off here because i i i'm not exactly a school i am uh uh, you know i'm more of an apprenticeship program right um that the schools you get to go in and you get to try everything once and then you graduate Anybody who says you're going to graduate with all the skills and be a professional is misleading you. Yeah. You know, the truth is you're going to get a chance to do the thing once. If when you graduate, you don't go out and you don't do it again immediately, everything you did in school, if you don't repeat your schooling Uh on your own, in your own space, with your own materials, your own time, your own money, you're going to forget in six weeks. Uh Uh You got to do it for sure. 
Yeah, you've just wasted your you know twenty thousand dollar tuition or whatever it is to go to school these days. When you're setting up a class, a, a foam latex class, since that's what we're talking about, sure. Do you have is there is there a beginner class, an intermediate class, an advanced class, or is a foam <coughs> latex class a foam latex class? Um, as as far as foam latex class goes, um, uh, yeah, it's kind of a trial by fire. You dive into it, but I don't let anybody take my foam latex class. Unless they can prove to me that they have made a mold in a prosthetic before. They have actually tried it. Not necessarily foam latex, but, you know, uh, like my first week, the gelatin class, doing just a gelatin nose or a forehead or something like that. So they understand the principles. If you understand the principles, you can come into my four-week program with, with foam latex and we do a full breakdown overhead thing, just like you would do professionally, just like Dick Smith would do. You know, I, I graduate slowly the amount of things that you need to know so that there are prerequisites a little bit. But yeah. foam latex is foam latex. You can you could take just a foam latex class and in two or three days learn how to do just foam latex. Well, one, and then one class is specific for just starting out and testing the water. <laughs> cool. Well, I'm hoping that after we... We get this information out there that you your phone will be ringing off the hook. Well, it's uh, um, I, I I hope not too much because you know <laughs> I'm only taking six at a time, right? <laughs> but uh, but it's 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 fun. It's a great education. I, I will say the one thing that we do every single day that I can guarantee is that we laugh. So you know you could you could sleep through the class and still laugh. <laughs> well, I, I think having fun doing what you're doing is. What you need to do, it's in order to get good at something. It's like, you know, if yeah. you love what you do, you'll never, you're never, never work a day in your life. Right, right. And, and if, I, it, if it ain't I fun, loved what's the do. point? Yeah, yeah. And in fact, that's, I, I turn down everybody that comes to me now, every project, film projects, things like that, because I've been doing them long enough. I turn down everything unless it's going to be <laughs> fun. really fun. It's like, you know what? This, this sounds fun. I want to do this. You know, and they come to me and say, well, would you, would you like to do this? Uh, would you like to do the film? You know, are you interested? We'd like, you know, I'd like a bid from you. And I, and my first question is, is this going to be fun? And they say, well, it's a really good script. And I say, yeah, I've seen lots of really good scripts screwed up. So <laughs> what's going to be, you know, what, what is going to be fun about this? And they say, well, you know, well, it's this or that. And, you know, I, it's, it's got to be a good carrot for me to, for me to chase after it these days. Sure. Well, it should be for everybody. Yeah. You know, but at a certain point, you know, and and so many people, because it is such a saturated industry, you know, and everybody can do everything now, supposedly, that uh, uh, everybody feels like they have to take everything and they're feeling abused by it. And, uh, and you know, I one of the things that I do stress is, is respect your craft for yourself and for your own well-being. And, you know, think about this. Know what your worth is. If you don't know what you cost to be you for an hour, what does it cost you to be alive on this planet for an hour, to have what you have and do what you do? If you don't know what that is, how do you know how much to charge somebody? If it costs you $25 an hour to be you, and somebody says, well, I got a job and I'm offering you 15 normally a lot of people would say, I'll take that. But now you're paying them $10 an hour to work for them. So know what it costs you to be you. Great advice. Thanks, Rob. Sure. I really appreciate your time today. I hope you guys have a great time at the museum. I, I, I hope so, too. It should be a great exhibit. I've heard it's really nice. Take some pictures. Uh, oh, I don't think they'll let you. No. LACMA, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Take them <Wow>. and run. <laughs> <laughs> have a great time. How long is the, how long is the exhibit running? 
Uh, you know, I'm not sure. I think today's the official like opening day, but they had like a, a, a opening reception a week or two ago. Yeah, and uh, I think it runs for. Yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll send you some information about. Yeah, because go if it's still running, I'd love to love to see it. Yeah, I, I think there. it's going to run for like a month or two, something like that. Cool. All right. Have fun. Have a lovely day. Thanks you too. I'll talk to you soon. Bye bye. Bye. What'd you think? While I'm looking for this, of what we wrote, what we said before, what'd you think of the? Eight pages they gave us in Prosthetics Magazine. That's amazing. That looked really cool, It looked didn't terrific. It? I was very, very excited about that. Yeah, I'm very pleased because, uh, you know, we put a lot of time and effort into it, and it, it just seems like, you know, it, it, it was beautifully presented, and it's like, oh, I'm so excited. So I've got my copy, but I haven't read through it yet. I just want to read it all because I had a quick skim through, but it looked amazing. So I recommend everyone out there to get Prosthetics Magazine because it's really good. It's the, it's that thing like when you were reading Caglione and Drexler Makeup Effects Lab in Gorezone back in the day. It's like that, but all of it. It's really good fun. Well, there we are at the end of another podcast. We hope you've enjoyed my little chat with Rob Berman and his lovely wife, Jennifer McManus, and one of their menagerie of animals playing in the background. Yeah, um, I did wonder about it was, that. It wasn't a intestinal distress. It was actually a dog playing with a toy. Yeah, the old growl and stuff. I'm yeah. like, and every now and then grumpy. you'd see this. T- I, if, if you were watching it, you, you'd see this tail every now and go whizzing by behind Rob, and then go back the other way again, almost like a okay. like a periscope. <laughs> no, it was awesome. It was I, really, really. I good could lesson. talk to Rob all day long. He is just a great guy and has more stories. It, it's so much fun. Excellent. No, it was a good, it was a good listen. It was just absolutely packed with info. It was very, very cool. So thank you very much, Mr. Berman, for that. That was a, a delight. Hope we get a chance to do it again. Well, I guess this, so this is the end of the podcast. Uh, I have recorded a, a podcast very recently with Mitch at Brick in the Yard in Texas. So I'm in the process of editing that up and I should put that up soon. So this is the end of number 12 and that'll be uh, number 13. So we're into our 13, into Woo-hoo. our, uh, into our, into our baker's dozen. All right, mate. Thank you very much. Cheers, Todd. Cheers. The more you do it, the better you'll be at it. And this is all across the board, foam latex or anything at all. If you want to be good at something, do it every day. Foam latex. It's a fluffy. I don't you know. Use it or not. I'm going to use yours just now. That was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun.